2 Kings chapter 13, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Um, had a good vacation. Uh, the guys filled in and did a great job and um, appreciate you doing that for us and, and letting us get away. And uh, really good time, really good memories up there. So, but glad to be back, kind of. I mean, when you lead a crew that big on vacation, it's like I'm ready for a vacation. Um, but it was fun. A lot of family and good times. Even my dad got up there first time in a long time since he's been out of the house, actually. And so he was able to come up for a couple days. So that was good as well. Um, the, coming up this week, we're, uh, most of you got the memo about uh, that our church is uh, hosting a, um, a first responders appreciation dinner at A&G's restaurant. We made a it's hard to, to work it out to where they could all come at once. So we made it so that they would come in um, and just mention that they're a first responder in Nottoway County um, and that the meal would be covered with the tip and everything. So they could just sit at the table, not just them, but everybody at the table. And so um, we really, uh, I was praying about it and what do we do and really felt um, given the current climate and all, uh, this is the right time and uh, the appropriate thing to do. Um, it's a, it's, I guess it's a little protest uh, in my own way, I guess, or in our own way. And so um, that'll be starting July 1st through July 7th, I think. Uh, it's the first week in July. They'll be able to go and, and do that. And, and uh, we're all a part of that, obviously. It comes from our fellowship. And I know it's appreciated. We've heard a lot of feedback from the, from the guys. They, uh, um, they're obviously getting hit from all sides right now, including including their higher-ups. It's, it's just a tough, tough time to be in that position. And uh, um, they need to know, you know. And this is a ministry. Um, it isn't necessarily directly about Jesus, but they need to know that they're doing the will of God and that they're in God's plan. And he has them picked out for this specific calling. Because I, I tell you, after you look at what the salaries that these guys make, it's a calling, because you don't get rich from doing these things, you know? And so how do you do that? Well, as a fellowship, we can't give them a raise, which is what they deserve, about $10,000 raise each, um, at least. Um, but you can't do that. But we can show respect. And I think that's the best thing as a fellowship we can do for them right now and minister to them right now in their time of need um, is to show them the respect that they deserve. And so um, be encouraged. Um, it's, a, it's a good work. Our garage sale uh, proceeds will go towards that this year. Um, it's by faith because it's happening this week and garage sale isn't for a couple of weeks. So can you do this as a Christian? I don't know. <laughs> I started doing the math on the dinners. I just stopped doing the math on the dinners. I'm like, yeah, it's just going to have to work out. I just really trust this the Lord. So I'm sure it'll be fine. Right? Right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I need that encouragement. Um, so be praying for those folks that they take us up on it, that they're blessed, um, and beyond the dinner, um, that things just get straightened out as they should, and uh, that people start waking up and, and start to realize the foolishness that's going on right now. So that being said, there's other things happening. Garage sales coming up, uh, camps coming up. We've got a sign-up sheet out there for volunteers. People that want to help out with the camp, please sign up um, and, and uh, let us know how many days you can be there, what hours you can be there. Um, the fewer hours and the fewer days, it'll make us limited as to what you can do. The more time you give us or the more uh, open your schedule is, the, the more things we can give you. We can give you more responsibilities. In other words, we just, um, so, but there's, there's always needs a lot of hands. So even if you can show up for one day, 
Um, there's just things we need to do and to get ready for, especially uh, we're going to, we rented the pool this year on that Friday night for the camp. So we're going to go to the public pool from seven to nine, come back, change, do our thing, have our concert like we always do. And so there'll be need some help with the pool. Not too much. The lifeguards will be on hand, but um, I don't know, just having fun with the kids over there and, and we'll do our baptism at that time. If there's any kids that uh, receive the Lord as, as their savior sometime up until that point, anyway, uh, we'll do a baptism with those kids um, that, that choose uh, Jesus. And so uh, be praying about how you can be involved in that, but that's coming up here. We'll have the sign-up sheets for the kids here. Uh, they can register for camp shortly, and uh, we'll get going. Somebody asked me a question, can can other kids come from other fellowships? Well, yeah, uh, we'd rather them be with a friend that goes to our church. We're, we're not opening it up to the public. Um, anybody that just wants to drop their kids off for, for day camp, um, we, we'd like to have an adult that we know, that, that we can get in contact with, that they need help or something. So any people, that any kids or families that go to fellowship here and have cousins, nephews, nieces, and you want to, that's great, all for it. But we'd like some connection um, to someone who goes here. So that's kind of uh, where we're at with the camp this year. All right. Second uh, Kings chapter 13. Um, a, amazing chapter for me as I was studying and kind of getting back into things. You know, you go on vacation and your mind's other places like boats and, and sunburns and things like that. And uh, getting back into where you were when you were teaching, getting back into that place, skipping a couple chapters because Aaron filled in and um, getting yourself, boy, those names, even as I was trying to catch up, gets a little, really, Jehoahaz versus Joahaz, Jehovah, Je- Je- a lot of J's going on here in Israel. Um, at this time, as we see Joash becoming king, there's two Joashes at the same time. One's in charge of Israel. One's in charge of, of, uh, of the southern two kingdoms there, Judah. And so it gets a little weird sometimes. Judah died, and then or Jehoaz died, or Jehu died, or Joash died. And then Joash, did he come back to life? What happened here? So understand as we go through this, it's going to take a lot of study on your time because uh, there's so many things that, that God wants to say just on the surface as we look at the forest and not just the, the trees here. So verse 1, in the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahazai, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. So we've got uh, a promise being kept to Jehu. If you remember in 2 Kings chapter 10, uh, before we left for vacation here when I was teaching last, Jehu was promised four generations by God of people sitting on the throne. And this is a fulfillment of that. Um, but they, they, they start this chapter off by letting us know, by the way, they're not doing the things of the Lord. And that's important. That's to set us up for this next paragraph here. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria. So once again, we see God using an ungodly force against a godly people, or who should be a godly people, his people. God's, that's not out of his realm. It's not out of, it's not out of place for him to use someone as a tool, regardless of whether they believe in him or not, he'll use them. And I've said this many times, and I think we can all agree, anybody that can be stirred by Satan will be stirred by Satan. Um, we leave ourselves in a place sometimes in the flesh to be open to being used by Satan. Now, I know that God is the one raising these people up, but 
when you read that and you see that throughout scripture, oftentimes it's God just removing his hand of protection. He's not actually saying, hey, Siri, he just moves his hand of protection and lets that flood come in that he's been protecting them from all this time. And I don't think we realize oftentimes, in a good way, we take it for granted, God's protection in our lives. We should. I take it for granted that God's going to protect me and watch out for me so I can focus on what I need to do. I've got to trust he's got my sides, he's got my rear, that I can focus on what he's asked me to do. And I don't have to worry about keeping my head on a swivel, you know? And so I've got God, I know that. But I do want to stop every once in a while in my walk with him and acknowledge that. Hey, I know that there's a lot of things that could be coming against me right now that aren't. And you've kept back some of the worst. Some of the things have creeped through, crept through there. They're here to help me to grow. They're here to help me along. I understand what you're doing with me. But I understand the fact that this could be a much bigger flood than what it is. You know, right before we left for vacation, as is the case in springtime, our roots find their way to our sewer pipe. It's what they do. It's like the entire silver maple is growing in the, you know, so we call them out and they come in and wrote, well, right before we left, hours before we left, I looked down in the basement one last time because the sump, one of the, one of the three sump pumps went bad. And of course, then the water goes everywhere. So I replaced that sump pump and then this goes bad. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good vacation, you know? getting this kind of attack. This is going to be a good vacation. So I said, you know what? I'm not dealing with it. We're locking the house up. I don't want to leave it open for a plumber. So we get back to that. Um, flooding was the point of that story. It comes. It could have been a lot worse. I could have not seen the sump pump before I left and all the rain and everything. We could have three feet of water in our wonderful basement that we have to replace someday. Um, someday. Uh, <laughs> the flood that could be coming in isn't. Well, God here sees fit at this time because he's angry with them for not worshiping him as they should, for not understanding that he's the life giver, the provider, the one who's given them everything they've had so far, and he's letting the flood in from Syria. But look what they do. As Bennett had attacks, verse 4, so Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. I'm not going to stop this often throughout the whole thing. We'll camp out most of the time in 14 and 19, but you got to, you got to see that. Does God hear the prayer of sinners that aren't walking with the Lord? He absolutely does. He does. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I've got scripture to prove it. We just read it. Underline it. Circle it. Keep our doctrine straight. When people come along, God's not going to hear your prayer if you're a sinner. Well, then we're all doomed because there ain't one of us in this room that isn't a sinner. And he hears our prayers all the time. This may not be a, a genuine one. This may be a, a situation where there's sorrow because he hates the pain of not being obedient to God. But it, it is. It's going to come up short of true repentance. And yet God knows all of that. He has all that in his bank. He gets that. And then he still steps in. God hears him. For he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer. No name, just a deliverer so that they escaped from, the under, from under the hand of the Syrians. And the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam. Now, there are several questions as a pastor that you get repeatedly. And they're good questions. They're questions that are, I think, and the reason they're repeated is because we all have to deal with this in some way or some, some form in our lives. And one of the questions is from parents with wayward kids. Hey, my kid is in trouble. 
And we're in a situation where we could help, but I don't know that we should help. And my answer is this, nine times out of ten, I'll say I understand both sides of it, but I say you've really got to pray and let the Holy Spirit lead you in this because I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And that's not a cop-out from someone who doesn't want to get involved because I have scriptures where I see moments like this where a father with wayward kids sees the oppression and can't help himself but step in and do what he needs to do. Did it work? Did they repent? Are they on their way to a, a wonderful restored? Is this the prodigal son story in the Old Testament? Nope. They go right back to where they were. Does God second guess himself? I don't know if I should have helped. I don't know if I should have done that. I don't know if that was the right thing to do. Maybe they need to hit rock bottom, as everybody tells us. And you'll get a lot of, as a parent, you're going to get that advice too. And you know what? Sometimes that's right. Sometimes they do need to feel that sting. They do need to feel, I mean, it is the Lord that let the Syrians in after all. That was a parent who said, they've got to, they've got to feel what it's like to not have me. If they don't want to worship me and don't understand that my protection is there, let me remove myself from their life so they know what it's like without me there. But then he sees them suffering and hears them cry out. And he, ah. I think every parent here understands that. What do you do? When do you step in? When don't you? You got to pray. You got to say, God, is this the time for me to step in or is this not the time for me to step in? Do I let him feel it? I don't know if I can watch this much longer. And you know what? I don't know that you can do it wrong. Honestly, if your heart's in the right place, I don't know that you can do it wrong. As I'm growing older in the Lord, I'm seeing God's word and I see him toggle with Israel. I see him toggle with his children. I see him wanting the best for them, but I Wanting the best sometimes means tough love, but then tough love has to come to an end sometime, and they got to get another shot. I got to give them a breather. I'm not here to kill them. I don't want them dead. I don't want them living like this and continue to hurt themselves and other people in their past. You got to pray through it. You truly need the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Is this right or is that? And then I don't think you can second guess yourself. You just can't. I don't think when you err on the side of grace, that you can go wrong. Grace, grace, grace. It's the loving kindness of Christ that leads people to repentance. But it's also sometimes, <laughs> I mean, later on in the New Testament, he says he, he chastises those he loves. Sometimes you need a spanking, you know? And if you're not being chastised by the Lord, maybe you're not his, the writer goes on to say. And so we're to relish those moments when we feel that correction. So there's, I see this passage and I see him at the end. Nevertheless, they did not depart from their sins. In other words, they cried out because of the sorrow, but not because of the sin. And yet he still stepped in and helped them. Verse 7, for he left, uh, for he left of the army of Jehoahaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, 10,000 foot soldiers, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at uh, threshing. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoahaz rested with his father and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash, his son, reigned in his place. Now, here's the reign of Joash. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoahash, um, the son of Jehoahaz, 
you get what I'm talking about now? Okay, just you know, give me I need grace. Because king over became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 16 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin, but walked in them. So it's a continuation, and yet God's fulfilling a promise of four generations of kids to stay on the throne, even though they're not doing a very good job of it. You know, he's going to keep his word. Now the rest of the acts of Joash... All that he did and his might, with which he fought against Amazai, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? In other words, if you want to know more, look up that book, they say. So Joash rested with his fathers. Then Jeroboam sat on his throne, and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now, here's where we're going to camp out for a while. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. People get sick and die. People of faith get sick and die. You probably know if you've come here for any amount of time where I'm going with this. It is not a lack of faith if you're not healed by God. It's just a thing. God does supernatural miracles. He completely heals people. Other people, he doesn't. Everyone in this room, provided God doesn't come back and take us away home in the rapture, I understand that. But if you're going to go the way of all men, you're going to get sick and die. Everybody in this room is. You may have been healed several times in your life supernaturally, but there's going to become a time it ain't going to work. Everybody dies from something. You die. They died of old age. My mom fell asleep in her chair, kind of. Her heart filled up with fluid around there until so much that the heart couldn't do anything anymore and couldn't pump and finally just quit. Well, she died of fluid, not of old age. She just broke. The body only works so I'm amazed at how these things work for so long. Can anybody find a part on a car that could last 100 years? I mean, think about that. Mick's getting robotic as we go here. He's got a robotic shoulder now, you know? It's kind of cool. You remember the $6 million man? No, 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 no. <laughs> well, he's only got a few parts left. He's got to keep going. And, and sometimes they just, they just bust. People need hearts, they need lungs, they need different things at different times. So that being said, Elisha wasn't lacking in faith. He's the guy that makes all things, you know, bringing people back from the dead is pretty good, but not yourself. Remember that's the thing they said to Jesus? He raised others from the dead, let him raise himself up from the dead. He could have, but it would have been detrimental to all of us because we would not have the propitiation for our sins if he had. So he let his father raise him from the dead. Anyway, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. And so don't let anybody ever tell you that. Every one of those faith teachers that's ever said that to anybody or written a book about it are going to die of something that broke. And so they're all going to be hypocrites eventually. So he's sick and he's going to die. Then the Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. This is a guy that's walking in the ways of his fathers, not walking in the ways of the Lord. And, and, and this is important. I think I tried to get this across, and I don't know that I did the last time I taught. But there is a difference between uh, a worshiper of false gods and a false worshiper of the true and living God. There's a difference between that. 
These guys, these kings are false worshipers of the true and living God. They're doing it wrong. They're not giving him uh, the worship that he's prescribed. They're doing it in error. They're worshiping other ways, saying this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. They're acknowledging the true and living God, but they're, they're doing it their way, not his way, in sin. And he's one of these guys. Now, then there's also the others that are worshipers of false gods. That would be Ahab and Jezebel. They were truly worshipers of false gods. But this guy, when it comes down to it, sees this godly man dying, knowing who he was, how God spoke to him and through him, comes down and weeps over him because he's got a sense in his heart because they both worship the true and living God, but not, not as religious as this guy. You know, and you see this mourning take place. These are the same words used in Second Kings chapter two uh, that Elisha said to Elijah. Elijah said the same thing. Oh my, my Lord, my Lord, the the, the chariots of the Lord. Said the, the the strength is leaving of Israel. Now I said I wanted to camp out here a little bit, a little bit. Bear with me. Um, it's a it's a it's an important one. It's, it has to do with uh, um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the entire chapter, okay? So I know. I was trying to find a stopping point. You know, you try to grab a section. It's like, no, I kind of need that. I kind of need that. And so by the time, okay, fine. I'm just going to read it. So here we go. But know this, as Paul tells this young pastor, Timothy, know this, don't doubt this, don't misunderstand me on this, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And the last days means from the time Christ died all the way till he comes again. We're in the last days. It's a big deal. Some people, well, when's the last days? I mean, we've been waiting. No, we're in them. And they were in them, okay? And we're still in them, and it's getting worse and worse. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, those are the two guys that made similar snakes out of their sticks, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Now, you, all that being said, given the current climate, where you're going to minister in, Timothy, and he's there now. Sometimes we read that list and we're just saying, I think we're here in first. No, no, Timothy was in this place. People have been like this forever. It may seem worse or our eyes may be open to it more, but we've been like this for a long time, Okay. But you, and so then, but us, have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, 
And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the section that I was trying to pinpoint was verses 10 and 11. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. You have carefully followed my manner of life. You have carefully followed my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my persecution. There's a lot of me's going on there, Paul. So are we supposed to be followers of Pope Paul or something? Kind of. He's not a pope, don't get me wrong. But there's nothing wrong with finding godly men and women in your life to emulate. I get kind of... (laughs) I don't know. I get funny looks sometimes when I talk about Chuck Smith or when I talk about some of the Billy Graham or I talk about some of these guys that are dead that finished their race well. Well, we don't worship Billy Graham. We don't worship Chuck. I'm not worshiping them. I don't have a little shrine. I tell you what, they did a lot better than I'm doing. And I'm going to emulate them. And I'm going to do just what Paul says and encourages Timothy in. Good job following in my faith. Good job following in my long suffering, in, in my love, my perseverance. I did this on purpose. I led an ex- a, a life of example, and I see Timothy out of all the people left, which are zero. Timothy is the only one left at this time following him. You're doing it right. You're following in the footsteps. As I imitate Christ, you can imitate me. And that's all that's happening right here. Why is he bowing down to Elisha? Why is he saying all these things? Because he recognizes this was a man of God that we could all look to, that we could all admire and watch and live and, and follow his example. And he's going. That's why it was so tragic when you see some of these older saints disappear when they go on to be with the Lord. It's like, I don't know, we could have used you for another 10 years, I thought. But that just causes us to have to step up. Every one of us needs to be those kind of people. That when people see us on our deathbed, that they're like, oh man, you're such a great example. You're such a great example of all these things. We want that. I want that. I think we all do. That's what's happening here. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, like Paul, whose, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. You follow these folks. And what's the point? If you've got someone who's kind of good with Jesus and kind of knows his word, why would you follow that when you've got other people that are really doing it well? I've got teachers in my life. I've, I've, I've got probably 10. I, I'm not taking applications for any more, by the way. A lot of people like to put in their application, hello, I'm so-and-so, I'd like to be your teacher. No, thank you. You know, I'm not interested in that. I've got dead guys that did the race well, and I've got all the writings, and it's wonderful, and I have the Holy Spirit. And so I pay attention to that. And so I've got all these teachers I'm listening, and there are 1,400 other Calvary Chapel pastors that are getting the same thing as they're reading and studying and, and giving this stuff out. And so it's nice, you know, 
you've got these folks and they're like, it's the, it's the word of God, it's the word of God, it's the word of God. And there it is. It's coming out at the same time. They're not stealing words from one another. They say in the last days, men are going to steal words from one another. That's not what's happening. They're, it's the same teacher. It's the Holy Spirit. You're studying and this comes up and you understand it. You get taught and then you go check yourself with these other teachers and you're like, hey, they got the same thing. Well, that's good, you know? Anyway, this Elisha, as he's dying, this, this, this king is like, oh, oh, you know, we're going to miss you. Oh, please don't leave. Who's going to take your place? And Elisha said to him on his deathbed, as he sees him crying and weeping, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. Elisha put his hand on the king's hand. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. It's facing Syria, by the way. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. So this arrow that you just shot is a symbolic gesture that we're going to war with Syria and you must destroy them. The arrow represents, okay? So he gets it. Then he said, take the arrows. He's got a handful of other arrows and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. So he had other arrows, but he shot three more arrows out the window. They hit the ground and that's where they stopped. And he stopped doing it. And it says that he got angry. The man of God was angry with him. He said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Now, at first, when you read that, if you don't understand what's happening there, you're like, well, how is he supposed to know he's supposed to hit it more times than that? Well, he had more arrows. See, if you think he's on the ground going tap, 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 it doesn't make any sense. He's shooting the arrow. Now I want you to keep shooting. One, two, three. What are we doing, Elisha? He's like, oh, man, you, got, you had a handful of arrows, and you only used three of them. Every time you shot the arrow, remember what I told you, that first arrow? That's going to be your victory over Assyria. Now shoot some more arrows. You're supposed to pick up on that stuff, supposed to understand that. And I kind of liken it to prayer, I guess is where I came up with, and this is our second place we're going to camp before we finish up today. Prayer. How, how many times do you pray? How often do you pray? If Jesus, God come in the flesh, laid hands on a blind guy, but when he was done laying hands on him, could kind of see some blurry images, but men looked like trees, and so he redid it? That tells me something. I need to persevere in prayer. I need to labor in prayer. I need to not give up. How do I know that that next arrow isn't the arrow that's going to wipe this thing out or take that person from unbelief to belief in the sense that they open their eyes and see the work of the Lord in their lives? I don't know. I know this. I don't want to ever stop those arrows. I want to keep shooting those arrows. Now, I know that I'm. this is called springboarding, where that's not exactly what the text is talking about. He's specifically talking about defeating them uh, militarily, and I've changed it to prayer, but I, I can't help but not think that it, that is our weapon of warfare. We've got the sword of the Spirit, and we've got prayer, you know? 
And I think it's really important. I see in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, not, not its self, it's not a force, it's not an instance, it's Holy, the God, the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I have had moments... In fact, I had one yesterday as I come off a of vacation and you get this, I'll call it a burden because that's kind of King James language, but I get a burden. I get heavy. Now, is that because I'm not on the boat anymore heavy? No, because I was glad to get home. You know, what is this? I didn't know what it was. There's a heaviness. There's a heaviness about uh, we had to go to Arnold's Park. We got to go to Arnold's Park up there. It's a big amusement park on the lake up there. But it's the first time I've had to wear a mask since this whole thing started. Had to wear a mask in order to enter. And my kids all wanted to go to Arnold's Park. So I'm like, all right, we'll go to Arnold's Park. And as soon as I put that mask on, I was just, whoa, man, I hate my liberty being squashed. I mean, it drives me nuts. And I've been pretty quiet about it so far. But I was not a happy camper. And so Jenny and I, and my Jenny, my little libertarian gal that I've got, she's got hers down here around her chin. <laughs> and I've got mine up here just below my mouth because we're going to breathe. And we're not going to decrease our oxygen and get headaches. And we're not going to, we're wearing this in protest. It's on our ears, you know. And so we're walking around. <laughs> so maybe that's what the heaviness was, really. And, and I posted, so, oh, I'm so thankful for our state, so thankful for Missouri, not this weird place called Iowa that makes us wear masks all the time. <laughs> Iowa people are like, what? Come on, give me a break. It's, it's not everybody. It's just that dumb company that makes you do it. You know, like Menards or whatever. They, they make you wear them. So go to Home Depot. They love Liberty there. Go to Home Depot. Or Lowe's. They love Liberty there too. So is it that, as I see the Kansas City mayor say that he's going to require all masks out in public? Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't that. So I don't know how to pray, but I do know I'm supposed to pray is the point. I've got a burden. I've got a heaviness. I've got what some people might call a depression coming over me. But I want you to know something about depression. There is true depression, and then there's this that I'm talking about right here. I don't know about the other. It's none of my business. I don't have it, never have. But when I feel that heaviness, that downcast soul, I begin to feel this burden. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know whether it's me or if it's spiritual. It's a heaviness in my soul. I feel fine, but I don't feel right. Something's wrong. And so I have this moment where it's like, I don't have, know what to do, but to groan. And I don't necessarily, I don't go, you know, I don't do that. Although you can, you can do that by the spirit. But I do have this moment. It's like, oh God. Okay, Lord, mm, I don't know, Lord. Oh, this God help. Whatever it is, help. Show me. What am I not seeing? What happened or what's happening or what's going to happen? I don't understand. What, and I just begin to pour out my heart to the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verses 28 through 30. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, 
when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this temple, colon, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men. Sometimes I don't know and sometimes I don't need to know, but I do know this. I know where to go when I have that. Some people look at the Psalms. A lot of psychologists and so on have looked at the Psalms and said, David had depression. You're looking at it wrong. You're trying to justify depression by looking at the Psalms to see if any in the Bible ha ever had it. Instead of finding out the cure, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes for depression. The psalmist isn't there to expose himself as a depressed king. He's here to show you how he got over it and what he did through it. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are these things? But here's what he did when he felt that heaviness, when that burden he begins to pour out to the Lord. And oftentimes by the time he's done with the psalm, he's rejoicing. He's, his, the funk has been lifted, the cloud, because he's got his eyes off of the horizontal, whatever it is, or the unknown, or the, and often the unknown can bring it on. I just don't know. I don't know. And so you feel this. Oh. As I get my eyes on the known, on the person who created me, on the one who has everything in his hands, the one who's told me he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the unknown isn't unknown anymore. I don't know the in-between, but I know the end. And it raises us up. Psalm 6, verse 6, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed. I drench my couch with tears depressed, but finish it. He cries out to the Lord and tells him his need for him and his heart for him and what's going on and I need your help. Psalm 22, 1, 3, the, the psalmist writes about the Messiah. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear it in the night season. I am not silent, but you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. You see that switch? I don't know why you're not, I don't know. I, oh, but I know who you are. You're enthroned in the praises of Israel. And so I'll praise you even in this. Psalm 32, two through four. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Pause, it says, Selah. And then it goes on to describe the uplifting of the Lord and the bringing us out of it. John chapter 11, verses 38 through 39. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, he doesn't even know sometimes. All he knows is the Holy Spirit's groaning. Came to the tomb. This is at Lazarus. And it was a cave and he, a stone was laid at, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Jesus was down, sorrow, mourning, groaning within himself, but he take away that stone, you know? I tell you, thinking about the resurrection, just reading it, God's word is truly medicine. It's truly um, an antidote. It's, I don't know how else to describe it. We'd use other terms today that probably be inappropriate um, because it has to do with occult and stuff like that, but it's powerful. I mean, there's something there just reading it. I, I, here's a way that doesn't offend anybody. <laughs> I was The word I'm thinking of is magical. It's not. I know it's not magical, but there's something about it. Think of it as code if you're a computer genius, right? 
Think of it as you've got a virus, you've got a computer that's failing, you almost have blue screen, everybody knows that's complete and utter failure, you know, you get blue screen, you're done, right? And then there's this code, and as you begin to read this code, or you begin to type this code, and fix, and patch, and replace, and purge, all the virus that's in that computer, all of a sudden you have a restored system. Does that make sense? Is that a little easier to understand? Think of God's word as code. I can't read the word of God anymore. You've got to. You've got to read the word of God. You have to get it in through the eye gate, into your brain, into your heart. Let that code work. Let his word work in your life all the way down to your bones until you have a restored system. It is the sword of the spirit. It is the fix. Jesus knows that. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Pour out your heart to the Lord. Groan if you have to. If you've got no words and all you can do is cry, cry unto the Lord. Remember Samuel's mom? She didn't know what to pray. She was moving her lips, but she was a mess to the point where the priest is like, go away, you drunk woman, you know? She's like, I'm not drunk, Eli. I'm just trying to pour my heart out to God. And he heard. It works. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, that's Jesus, the Son of God, God come in the flesh, prayers, supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Oh God, let this cup pass from me. That's the moment he's talking about there. Guys, would you stay up and pray with me just a little bit? What's prayer going to do? You know. And he's over there crying out. And he says, nevertheless, at the end of my prayer, at the end of Jesus' prayer, although I want the cup to pass from me, if there isn't any other way, then I want to keep the cup. And he does keep the cup of God's wrath. And it's poured out on him and it worked. So, Maybe you've shot your bow three times. I encourage you to keep shooting it until there's victory. Keep shooting it. All right, now let's finish up. Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. And so it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha, And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now that's it. They just throw that story in there. So the idea is we're trying to bury this guy and they see these raiders coming like quick, 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 you know, oops, wrong hole, you know, and they touch the dead guy and he gets up, says, pull me up. Whoa, you know, and got him up. Now that didn't work all the time. Otherwise we'd have the hole of Elijah, you know, and we'd have a permanent rope. Yeah, okay. You're, you know, you, you'd, you'd be like, but they don't. It was a rarity. And it's a point they're trying to make. Just coming in contact with this holy man's bones was enough to revive a man. And now some of the writers, some of the guys that I read, some of my uh, teachers said, well, 
in a way, it's true. Anytime you come in contact with the prophets of old, it does revive you a little bit. Of course, we're talking spiritually speaking, you know. But anyway, you have this funny little story there. It's like, you know, I'd love to see their faces on that. But then he doesn't go on to describe it, just wants to mention it. And, ha- and, and don't make a doctrine out of it. So, relics, you know. So we need dead man's bones embedded. And if we kiss them, we're going to, no, 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 no. Just a one-time thing. You'll never see this again. It's the first and only time anybody touches dead bones and gets up again. I mean, it, it doesn't ever happen again. It's a quirk. It's cool. It's neat. It's a great story. You know, we don't have floating axe ministries, you know, kind of thing. We don't have dead bone, whatever. It just shows that miracles just happen sometimes and they only happen once. So you can't, you really can't pigeonhole God. You, you can't put him in a place where, okay, so that's how miracles work. Oh yeah, but then he spit it and made mud and that guy saw. And that guy, he didn't even touch. He just spoke to him and he saw. And that other guy kind of bopped him on the ears and touched his tongue. And that's a God just does what he wants to do, you know. Verse 22, then Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them, had compassion on them, and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not uh, yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. That's the God of the New Testament we know and love, isn't it? In the Old Testament. I can't handle that Old Testament, guys. Too much wrath. Look at this softy right here. You know, he's just softy. And then when you go to the New Testament, read Revelation and read Romans 1. And you'll understand God's still the same yesterday, today, and further, because there's a whole lot of wrath in those chapters. You know, there's two sides. There's a, there's a God of grace and mercy and love and compassion that wants all believers who fear him to be saved. And he does. And they, and they fear him and he's, and he's gracious and merciful. And then there's those that don't fear him and they get wrath. It's the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. He has not changed. Now, Hazael, king of Syria, died, and Benadad, his son, reigned in his place. And Jehoahash, the son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from the hand of Benadad, the son of Hazael, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz by his, uh, um, his father by war. Three times Joash defeated him, and recaptured the cities of Israel. There's your three arrows, and that's where we close today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we've had in this chapter and that you've written this for our admonition, for our encouragement. And so we really want to pray together as a fellowship. We pray for our nation. We pray for those that are being attacked vehemently this morning, and we lift them up to you as only you can heal them, only you can restore them and encourage them. But we want to to be your hands and feet and and in any way be a blessing to those um, that need that, that need that support and encouragement. Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to be a blessing, but we know there's many more ways to do it. And every one of us has our own little sphere of influence, our own way or, or opportunity to be a blessing to those in need. And we want that. And so I pray for each one of us. Uh, we, we pray together, but we also know that there's going to be individual ministries this week. Help us to see them. Help us to see them coming, to be prepared, prayed up, walking with you, walking in the Spirit so that we can recognize them, and that we also then would do those things, not just hear your word this morning, but be doers of your word this morning. So we pray with vehement cries, Lord, with the burden that's on our heart. We pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for all those that are uh, being attacked right now, and we lift them up to you. And we pray for deliverance, Lord. We love you. Thank you for these folks as they've come to hear your word. I pray that your word would stay planted in our hearts. 
would have deep roots and have much fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.